irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Welcome to All Things Therapy. I'm your host, Lisa Tahir. Today is episode 164, and if you haven't listened, I'd like to tell you a little about myself. I am a licensed clinical social worker. I practice as an intuitive psychotherapist. Additionally, I'm certified as a Reiki Level 2 healing practitioner in EMDR and as a certified thought coach through the Institute for Transformational Thinking. And I am available to work with you through phone, Skype, or FaceTime sessions. Go to my website, NOLA Therapy, the abbreviation for New Orleans Los Angeles Therapy, where you can learn more information. Email me, Lisa at NOLA Therapy. I additionally have offices in New Orleans, Louisiana, and Los Angeles, California. So if you prefer face-to-face, I do that. However, wherever you are geographically does not limit the potential for us to work together. So reach out. I would love to be your practitioner. Additionally, I'm inviting you to join my email list at NOLA Therapy. I have a book coming out in the fall of 2020 having to do with psychoastrology, which is where astrology meets psychology. And my book is on our core wounds, identified by the planet of Chiron. And our healing is through personal responsibility and psychological spiritual principles. I want to be able to get that information out to you so that you can learn about your own psychoastrology and how you can apply principles of empathy and self-forgiveness. That's what I've been working on the last three and a half years. And the book is coming out with Inner Traditions Publisher in the fall of 2020. Please follow me on social media. I have been working to increase my reach so that I can get my book out to you, be of service to you. Follow me at NOLA Therapy, N-O-L-A Therapy, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, LinkedIn. I'm at Lisa Ta here, and I'm, I just really am excited to connect with more and more people to bring you messages of well-being. My theme of this podcast, why I started it, is to change consciousness one conversation at a time. And my guest today has been doing that in his lengthy career of over 40 years. In moments, we're going to be with Patrick Kilpatrick. He's an actor, a screenwriter, a producer, director. He's a teacher and mentor. He's an author, and this is just a few of the things that he's done in his lifespan. He's been in over 180 movies and 75 hit TV shows, prolific in his career, and he has a memoir that has come out. It's titled Dying for a Living, Sins and Confessions of a Hollywood Villain and Libertine Patriot. We're going to talk about a mentorship program he has. He's written solution papers in his political work for the government. He talks and does speeches and lectures about living fully into our human potential and how experiences that happen to us seem terrible at the moment and how we can pivot and repurpose them and really allow them to make us who we came here to be in our lives. So I just want to welcome you, Patrick, to the show. 
Thank you very much, Lisa. It's great to be here. I'm actually doing that most quintessential of actor activities. I'm lying at the pool (laughs) (laughs) at at the the landmark building where I've lived for 22 years. Okay, that's Um, awesome. So I'm real blessed that they have this. It's, It's been a great thing. The water is the only place where I can exercise my vaudevillian instincts with any uh, anything that's not clumsy. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, speaking. Um, so, one of the things I'm thinking to wish you first is I know you're a Leo, and this is Leo season. So, happy birthday! Yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot. My the lady in my life uh, uh, was telling me it's a Leo portal today. Oh, is that today? Wow, I've heard of that. I've, yeah. Okay, the Lionsgate portal, by chance? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so, cool. uh, yeah, I'm, I'm supposed to be hit with a bolt of light today. <laughs> it facilitates everything. You know, you illuminate. So I guess that's you. Thank you. And, you know, you do illuminate our world. I would love for you to speak to us about about your career, about how I know from researching you, a car accident at 17 where your back was broken really catapulted you into writing when you weren't able to be super verbal and and communicative and just how all these steps led you into who you are today. So I know that's kind of a broad range, but where would you like to start with us? Well, I mean, the way I interpret my life, and I think that's the reality uh, for me, was that what initially appeared to be catastrophic, quote-unquote, negative events, bad events, are really, I call them God's pivots, Mm. uh, where the universe is really just aligning you with the skill set that you're going to need for the next phase. So... um, in my case, I had been largely an athlete until 17. You know, I played football, basketball, baseball, competitive horseback riding, wrestling, swimming, lifeguard, whatever you can think of. That was my reality. I had read a lot of books but and always thought about writing. But because I couldn't play sports for nearly a decade and, and my life was completely altered, um, I then became a writer and got into rehabilitative exercise and restorative health modalities like massage and chiropractic, which by the time I found my way to acting was, I think, the perfect, not only mindset, having the mind of a writer as you were going into all of these characterizations for actors and stuff, but also having the healing modalities that were required to um, to restore myself very quickly after doing all these action movies. Um, mm-hmm. When you're fighting or doing your own stunts and things like that, stage combat or film combat, um, you better know how to put yourself back together really quickly because sure. if you go, go into that environment stiff, uh, somebody might get hurt, including yourself. So... Um, what was a negative event for me actually was exactly what I needed down the line for the for the the gifts, if you will, that required me to have a long and sustaining acting and entertainment career. So, um, and I feel 
most things, you know, our first reaction when these things happen is to sort of seize up and maybe to apply some panic to it or something like that. But I think if you take a deep breath and you realize now that becomes much more difficult to embrace. I know both of us have been involved with wounded warriors and right. um, I've seen some absolutely breathtaking wounds, burns uh, mm. from IEDs and head injuries and things like that. And that's a catastrophic event. But when it, the principle of this is God's pivot for me is applied, even with those catastrophic events, losing multiple limbs, things like that. Yeah. I've seen it, the people become evangelical, inspirational speakers, or become stand-up comedians, or they become ministers and caregivers to their, their brethren and sisters in the armed forces. They become teachers. It's, um, they all want to get back into the fight. And so if they apply a positive thinking, these are the cards I've been dealt. How can I get back into the flow of life? Lo and behold, many people, myself included, but also those wounded warriors will say, I would not have changed my reality because if I hadn't had that reality, I wouldn't be where I am here today. So, um, I know that's a far more difficult thing in those catastrophic things, but it, 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 that's what you're leaning towards when I'm working with. For example, we try to write wounded warriors uh, for a variety of reasons into our film projects yes, yes. and our storylines, because I would like to contribute to the possibility of them saying, if I hadn't had my wounds, I wouldn't be here making this movie with Patrick Gilpatrick. Yeah. I wouldn't be in this spot in the universe right now. If somebody falls into negativity, then that will hinder the process. I've seen guys with missing limbs and they're back in combat in six months and they have to maintain the same physical criteria as the unwounded uh, soldiers. So a lot of it is mental attitude, it, it, getting back on the horse and moving. It really is. And, and Patrick, I hear what you're saying and am, am reminded of many times I've seen on TED Talks, which I love, inspirational speakers that once something that was catastrophic has happened, it's as if their life takes on a deeper urgency and a, a deeper meaning for purpose and value. And, and that catapults and they catapult themselves into living in a way that when life is going easy and flowing, we're, we're not always feeling that urge and it is mindset and I, I wanted to ask you since you're such a mindset person that a catastrophic event that we don't foresee coming is one thing what about to help our mindset when we actually contribute to something that doesn't go well for us or that is negative like when we blow it I recently blew it and I've felt so badly and it's like wow though I meditate daily I still have the propensity to to hurt people hurt people's feelings and trying to get my mindset back to like, okay, like this can still be okay. Also, I wonder what you can offer listeners and me around our mindset when, when we do something that has a negative outcome. Well, what comes to mind almost instantly, and I'm, I'm the father of two wonderful sons, mm. one's 27 and the other's 22. And 
Now, what you're describing is a deeply human um, affair. Um, none of us is perfect. We're all going to make mistakes. And as parents, um, we can make mistakes, certainly. And so what I've learned from therapy and things like that and life in general, but specifically from therapy, is that all things are learning uh, moments mm. that you can go back to that situation. I, I believe very deeply in redemption and absolution and being able to correct wrongs. Yes. Um, so um, you can go back to your children or go back to the people that you've harmed and say, um, look, um, I'm not perfect. Um, I make mistakes, but I want you to know that I'm here to correct that situation. And this is why that happened. I work really hard, you know, like let's take a thing like auditions or meetings for films and television shows. The okay. worst, absolute worst self-recrimination comes when you've missed something in preparation for yourself. It's one thing to not get a job because they choose somebody else. Yeah. It's much uh, more um, hard to live with if you fail to do the work, the preparation yourself. So I know what you're describing is 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 something that comes up, but I would say strive very hard to make sure that you're not the person who's responsible for that. If something for a, a mistake, but if you are, realize that it's you're you're a human being, and there's a way back from whatever small or large um, incident has occurred. You know, if you, you, once again, we keep returning to military things. And mm -hmm. when people make mistakes in military things, people die. Yeah. And innocence and people on your own side. So you have to really train and really work to make sure that you can flow, not be so stiff, because that's a landscape where a mistake can be made, but that you've done the prep work. And you've done everything that you can to minimize those effects. But it's going to happen. We're all human. Nobody is perfect and far from it. So all we can do is strive to do the very, very best we can. Um, I appreciate uh, what you're sharing there. And, and agree about taking responsibility, making amends where that's possible, and, and striving to, to be better within oneself. Yeah, I mean, I had a young period where I came out of, you probably either read my book or done your research, but I had a period where I went through a shoplifting period, mm. like a lot of young people. But I, I eventually realized that this was a terrible thing for my own sense of self and for my own journey in life. And so I did what I could to go back and pay for those things or return the objects to their proper owners. There's a way to do that. And that was a tremendously cleansing process for me. Um, That's awesome. The restitution to, that you paid. Yeah, to, to, to realize that you're no longer a thief, mm -hmm. that you're, you're no longer on that side, that you're a person who's walking with integrity. That's, uh, that's, a tremendously freeing emotional experience on itself. So we all have our journeys and our challenges. I wouldn't, uh, you know, leadership involves minimizing that in the people that you work with and, but realizing that nobody is 
is incapable of making a mistake. Uh, it's one thing if it's done by complete lack of discipline and complete lack of uh, preparation, but it's another thing if it's just a human mistake. Um, you know, I appreciate you sharing about that, about shoplifting and then making restitution when once you realize this is not who you want to be in the world. Similarly, when I was a young person in high school, I worked for my aunt and uncle in the French Quarter of New Orleans in their T-shirt shops, and I actually stole money from them. And several years later, it just came upon my consciousness how that was wrong, and I, I was remorseful and went to my aunt and offered to pay money like I and she said Lisa we had cameras we saw and we just hoped one day you'd come back and do the right thing and you have so we forgive you and it was such a healing moment to have my aunt and uncle forgive me they said we know you were kind of messed up at that time in your life and we just you know like wanted you to like believe you'd come to terms with this and come back to us and that was just such a gift to not have been punished well or, uh, how benevolent and yeah, wise so benevolent. They were. yeah they were so you know, so incredible. wise so wise my father was extremely forgiving individual and that's what has stayed with me and i try to try to um, exercise those antenna when i'm leading people or directing people or teaching people or very few situations really just kicking people's ass actually is the proper way to motivate them. Yeah. Uh, very few. Is that the productive way to do it? Rather dusting, helping them dust off, uh, patting them on the shoulder and say, go get them uh, is usually the way to, to put people back onto the playing field. Um, that doesn't diminish any self-accountability that people have to exercise, particularly after about the age of 18, 19, 20, 21. You know, people come from a lot of craziness, but they have to still accept their self-accountability as they move forward in the yes. life. Um, well, I'm glad you worked that out. I, I, another reason for me as an actor, and maybe this is, and writer uh, is self-rationalization, but I feel like I had to go through a lot of things like that in order to have empathy and know the ins and outs of those behaviors of having played a lot of villains. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of uh, damaged people as an actor. So, um, What has that been like, to, I was play, just... to play those kind of roles of the, the person that does take out with vengeance, and here you are as an, such an empathetic person. What has that dichotomy been like for you personally? Well, uh, cinematic villainy, uh, television, film, stage villainy is really not ex exactly mirroring uh, of real-life villainy. You know, there's a, a, a book that came out years ago called uh, The Road Less Traveled. Yes. And it, it was a very Christian-oriented uh, book. But one of the things, and one of the things that it touched upon was evil was really arbitrarily blocking the dreams of another person for whatever reason. And um, cinema villainy involves some showmanship. Uh, I always feel if, I, if I'm arousing people at the same time, scaring them and perhaps titillating them at the same yeah. time, then I, I, I've, uh, I've done my job. Mm -hmm. Real life villains, uh, real life evil, 
comes from a very, very different place that really doesn't have a lot of showmanship to it and doesn't have a lot of titillation, uh, sensuality, or titillation to it. Um, I, uh, it, it can, uh, what is it like? I mean, sometimes, particularly if you're doing a play and you're responsible for every negative thing that's happening on the stage, uh, that can be wearying and, and you'll have to go off and have a cry sometimes mm-hmm. just to cleanse yourself. Yeah. Um, uh, it's been very, very fertile, um, artistic landscape to play with um, because the research for these things is a, is very, very interesting. I just was playing a pedophile priest in a movie called Catalyst. And the truth is there's probably no um, activity that's more reviled right. than that, than right. being a, a pedophile. Um, what's interesting to me to, um, to doing the research of it is that the origins of pedophilia um, and child molestation and things like that are so uncomfortably close to a lot of foibles that many of us have, be it smoking, drinking, promiscuity, drugs, uh, obesity. Um, the origins of those things are all lack of nurturing and um, uh, aloneness, abuse being placed on the person. Now, again, None of this absolves the person from their self-accountability after a certain age. But it's interesting that it's all connected yeah. in some way to lack of nurturing that occurred in the childhood phase. And a lack of Again, empathy, a lack of receiving none of it, empathy. A lack of what? Receiving empathy as well and being appropriately exactly. attuned to and cared um, for and it's succumbing to your own selfishness Mm -hmm. because of your inner damage. Mm -hmm. And, um, that was fascinating and really illuminating to read about that. I mean, you, you, if it's a rapist or uh, a murderer, 95% of those people were sexually or physically abused as they were growing up. So it's a multi-generational thing that goes on and on and on unless one has the healing process and the self accountability to to uh, absor- to cleanse oneself and to absolve oneself. I- I've been very very lucky that the process of being a writer and an actor has been that kind of a journey. Mm-hmm. I think somebody maybe Olivier said all actors are are fleeing to healing, um, and I think that's true. They they're looking for some way to cleanse their wounds that are inside. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found it a very, very rich turf and very, very interesting center of a spoke of a wheel for a lot of different behaviors. Uh, and uh, it doesn't mean that I have any more sympathy for somebody who's a pedophile. I mean, there's nothing more repulsive than something like that. Um, but some understanding of yes. it is a little, has been illuminative for me. You know, what, um, what you're saying, Patrick, I'm thinking back to I, following Hurricane Katrina and in the New Orleans area, worked at Angola Prison, and I read that your dad's, your grandfather is from Louisiana. I'm not sure where, and I don't know if you spent any time there. But Mon- Ang- Monroe. Oh, I've been Monroe. to Monroe. Yeah. My father always said three miles from where Bonnie and Clyde were killed. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
So I spent time working at Angola prison, and it's a maximum security prison. The minimum sentence is 25 years. Most inmates are there for life. It, it's been a prison that opened after the Civil War. And when Hurricane Katrina happened, the population went from 3,500 to 7,000 inmates overnight due to the evacuation. So I got hired on the spot. I worked there for a year. And it was interesting, as you're saying, to work with, I worked with the rapists and murderers and drug dealers. I only did a week with the inmates who were there for being convicted of child molestation. And I couldn't personally handle that because the lack of remorse and the lack of accountability was just beyond what I can handle as a human being. And I knew better than to try to make myself stay there because I just wouldn't be effective. And so yet I could find more empathy with the other inmates, even the murderers and rapists that told me that, Lisa, if I was not here, I would do it again because I don't have the skills to self-regulate. And there was this weird kind of kind of acknowledgement and responsibility, yet of course they want to get out. So it was just it's such an interesting year in my life. And hearing that you recently played a character like that and that your grandfather's from Monroe, I just wanted to to bring it all up. Yeah, I, uh, what a fascinating place Angola is anyway. Yeah. Uh, because of the sort of, uh, it's it's an island of self-sufficiency from what I've heard. It because is. They, they raise their own cattle and their, their, um, their crops and all of that other stuff and has been under the sway of some wardens who are uh, very unique characters. Louisiana is such a fascinating place anyway. I mean, my grandfather was in the KKK. Okay, yeah. So Not surprisingly, I, you know, that's um, on the other hand, my father paid for the college education for fifty African American men and women. Amazing. So uh, you can come out of whatever um, environment you are um, to. I don't know if it's necessarily make restitution, but from generation to generation, the the things that forged my grandfather did not exist for my father. Um, so I, uh, when I went to my father's funeral, there were 50 African-American men and women standing there saying thank you to my mother. And I said, what is this? Yeah. He said, well, we paid for all of their um, college education. So, um, That's amazing. Yeah, Louisiana is an interesting place. Of course, Huey Long and all of that political situation and all yes. of that. I don't know if you're familiar with him. I, yeah. Uh, but he's a fascinating character. Um, you know, so uh, you just brought up your dad, and I did want to ask you about him. He seemed like such just an interesting man. And for our listeners, your dad was before they were known as the Navy SEALs. He was the beach. He was a beach jumper, which is the precursor to Navy SEALs. And he started the Cigna Corporation, the huge healthcare corporation. And what a dichotomy! And I wondered what your upbringing was like. I know you talk about it in your memoir. Um, just wow, what an interesting family background you have. Well, I think so. That's one reason why I wrote the book. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of one of the stories, aside from being an embedded journalist, if you would, in Hollywood for now, going on 40 years. I, I He was a young guy who came out of uh, Monroe, Louisiana, father and mother, uh, not wealthy farmers at all, and he became the most... Uh, 
decorated athlete and scholar of his high school, joined World War II uh, fight in, uh, right out of high school, um, right after Pearl Harbor, and got a battlefield commission and became out an officer, got a silver star, a purple heart, uh, at Okinawa as an underwater demolition team. As you say, they, they were made into the Navy SEALs by John F. Kennedy in 62, 63, but landed on every beach in the Pacific, uh, founded Cigna Corporation, struck out George Bush to win the National Collegiate Baseball Championship. Uh, for many, many years, held the, the record for number of games won by a single collegiate pitcher. He was just an wow. astounding guy of accomplishment from day one all the way to the end. And he was six foot six, and he was extremely forgiving hmm. uh, in all things. Uh, mentored hundreds of people, and. Uh, I mean, you know, somebody like that, there has to be some strength, real strength to go through. But he spent his entire young manhood in war mm-hmm. and yet came out and did such great things. And I, I um, my mother, on the other hand, was very accomplished herself, extremely devoted to education, but had mental uh, issues. I guess they would call it. I, I'm leery of making diagnoses yeah. because I'm not a, a psychiatrist. But the best I can discern, she was classically bipolar um, and was extremely manic and volatile and violent, but at the same time, very intelligent, lucid a lot of the times. Um, And so in some ways, I had a tremendously balanced upbringing because my father was such an extraordinary guy. And on the other hand, my mother had all of these, um, these, uh, these weights upon her, which really weighed heavily on the family. Um, In my case, it made me very independent. I got away really quickly and worked at camps uh, as a rowing instructor, swimming instructor, and sailing instructor, and tennis instructor, and then went to uh, schools uh, in the year. My fondest thing was to get away from that environment. Um, But... um, it had an effect on all of us. And like the people we were talking about before, we all had to come out of that and, and make our way. Um, so uh, extremely patriotic and uh, steeped in American classical history, uh, Virginia upbringing, Connecticut upbringing, back and forth. And so to come to Hollywood and find myself in a place where there was vehement anti-military, a lot of anti-American uh, impulses here was was eye-opening, illuminating. Well, one of the reasons I wrote the book, that and, you know, when you write a book, like for me, how many people will read it because of the Hollywood things and because the insider behind the scenes exactly. stuff? But, Exactly. Also, where did you come from and how did you end up playing villains in 180 films and television shows? You know, it's really funny, Lisa. I, I After I wrote the book, I was sitting there and, and it was published. I, I remember that in first grade, we did the Pied Piper of Hamlet as a play and they cast me as the villain. In first Whoa, grade. In first grade. So, whatever the whatever the impulse was, it was readily apparent to others right from the beginning. 
And so I think it was an energy and a mischievous look and and, uh, physicality, but it it, it started very, very young for me. I mean, even in playing sports, they would give me freedom and let me be the destroyer on football and things like that. So um, it's an interesting journey. Um, Can I jump in to ask you or share something that I heard you say in an interview when I was just listening to some of them? Last night, this reminds me of I heard you speaking to someone around an energy. She had made a comment about your book having uh, a lot of sensuality and sexuality and, and inquiring about that. And I remember sure. I remember you responding with something really cool around how we all have an innate energy that we come into this world with, and it just exudes from us. And I believe that in trying to live from a vibrational perspective and and such. And so it's interesting that even in first grade, that that was somehow an, an energy. And can you speak to us about, about that? Well, not only do I think there's personal energies, I think there's time energies. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I came to being uh, in the post-war baby boom. And that was with the sixties and the seventies was a time all across the world where you had this explosion of energy and activity that was coming out of, everything in rock, but rock music and uh, sexual mores and all kinds of other things. But it was clear to me, I came out of the womb with a very, very intense, very exuberant energy. The title of the book, Dying for Living, really refers to that as much as playing villains. I mean, I was I was extremely dedicated to gobbling every second of life that I could get my hands on. Mm-hmm. And the, the literary uh, figures, uh, Hunter Thompson and Ken Kesey and Tom Wolfe and Hemingway and Fitzgerald, they were all similarly dedicated. So I was drawn to those energies as well as packing my own. It's just yeah. a lot of people have a lot. I think some people have more or less testosterone. I think people have, you know, we've been talking about serial killers. <clears throat> I think brain chemistry has a lot to do with a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Again, not without trying to, without not trying to mitigate the responsibility of these things. But I think there are a lot of people that have uh, brain chemistry issues that cause them to, Absolutely. Go in certain directions. I just watched a lot of Manson films because of a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood film. Yeah. And so I did went back and read a lot about that, which I knew a lot, but kind of refreshed my mind with it. He's clearly schizophrenic mm-hmm. and clearly uh, OCD, I guess. Again, I'm making diagnoses. I don't know the exact names, but the man is mentally ill. Yes. At the same time, charismatic and completely courageous when he speaks to other people. I think he's accepted his lot in life. Mm -hmm. He's dead now. But he, even at parole hearings, made no concessions whatsoever to trying to mollify or misrepresent himself. Which is, of course, it's all delusion Mm -hmm. because he's nuts and he's homicidal and he's violence and everything else. So it's, I think brain chemistry has a lot to do with these things. It does. Patrick, I wanted to ask, what, what has it been like to have your memoir out and represent it 
as you've been doing that? What feedback have you gotten? How does that feel for you now being an author in this way? I know you wrote for every major. Yeah, I've been a writer yeah. for longer than yeah, I've been an actor. So, yeah. You know, it, it's been a really great thing. What's really been really interesting has been what um, is important to other people. Um, and because somebody will say, you know, that moment where you did this and, uh, and then I wouldn't have thought that that was a very telling moment for someone, but that's was moving for them. And they, they picked it up. Like when I left advertising writing and said, I'll leave, I was kind of at the pinnacle and a staff writer at time incorporated. And I decided to leave because I just didn't feel like I belonged there anymore. And I knew that there's something out there for me elsewhere. And that was a moment that struck a lot of people. So it, it's been really great on a just reality level. We've gotten nothing but five-star reviews, and I've been really gratified by all of that. And and uh, we got a Best of L.A. award I for it. I'm polishing volume two right now. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, um, you're welcome. Polishing volume two, which is all show business all the time. So, um, and you know that... There's so many things. The, the moment in time, the cinematic moment in time, the political moment in time, it shifts on a daily basis. So it's a very interesting journey to try and put something together that will stand the test of time, at the same time be immediate and contemporary to people who are reading it. So, um, And a lot of it is to honor a lot of the people that I've had the privilege of working with. Mm-hmm. Everybody from my friends growing up in high school who are no longer with us to mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg and mm-hmm. Janos Kaminsky is director of photography. You know, I've had the privilege, great, great privilege to work with probably the finest in front and behind the camera talent for yes. a generation or more now. So, um, I feel very blessed and that's a reflection of not only my own energy, but the universe driving me to places that the universe felt I needed to be. And you also give back through mentoring young people. Can you talk to us about that? Because I think that's such a cool thing. Yeah, I was actually about 15 years ago, I was casting a film as director and I had about, we saw a thousand actors in five days. And they, people were coming in and they were striking to look at or not, whoever they were, they were really unique to look at, but they were doing things that I thought was incredibly counterproductive to actually succeeding on the day-to-day process of, 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 uh, pulling work. And I've been nothing but a, 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 an actor who actually goes in, does what he does in auditions and meetings and books the job. Mm-hmm. So I, th- and, and I'd ask these people, why were they doing what they were doing? And they'd say, well, my acting coach or my acting teacher told me to do that. And I'm like, well, you're not going to get the job that way. And so I, I felt there was a need for somebody to, I, honestly, I think most of the people like, you know, in working with Spielberg level production talent and stuff, most people at a certain length of time at that level, want to give back and they want yes. to teach yeah. and uh, i've been involved in putting together some film schools for foreign countries and stuff utilizing those people so the the point of the my class and we call it my mentorship program is called deliver the goods and it's really about look 
you're a, a, a social psychologist and all the myriad things you are. You have to deliver the goods. If you're a surgeon, if you're a soldier, if you're a fireman, if you're an actor, a director, writer, you have to deliver the goods. And how do we do that? How do you remove the blocks that are stopping you from anything less than the most arresting, globally attractive work that you can possibly do? And that's what we we do. And it's based on being at the front for as long as I've been on the front. <clears throat> you, um, it's not, uh, yes, it's theoretical sometimes, but it's not coming from a place who hasn't done all of these things and who hasn't, doesn't know a methodology, a manner of preparing work so that you score, so that you do work that allows you to go to sleep at night saying, I've left no stone unturned, whether you're a writer, director, producer. And it really is a cross-pollinated intellectual discipline. If you're a writer, a screenwriter, you need to know how to do good acting and to recognize it. Mm -hmm. If you're a director, producer, likewise. If you're an actor, you chemically become a better actor if you know how to write, direct, and produce, and to some extent teach. That makes sense. So... um, Young actors sometimes with a very limited view, why do I need to know this, uh, how to produce, how to write? Well, there are a myriad bunch of reasons. First of all, you need to have a, a, a psychological and economic sanctuary from the vagaries of the, uh, the acting business because everybody's going to have downtime. But it's chemically going to make you a better actor to know how to do these things. It's going to put you on a different informational loop with your peers, they're going to perceive you as something higher and more um, compelling to spend time with if you're creating A-list content yourself. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's everything. It's what does your pictures look like? What is your strategic materials, your resume, your communications with actors? How do you launch a career? How do you do arresting, compelling, transformative, resonant, powerful acting, uh, not only in auditions, but when you get the job on the film. Um, How do you come up with surprising choices? How do you create a a film that's going to lift you out of the pack so that, or a television show or a web series or whatever that will lift you out of the pack of the great morass of actors who are just coming to town thinking it's kind of like hosting and it looks like it's really easy. It is not an easy journey. It is a highly disciplined priesthood, priestesshood, whatever you want. And it takes a lot of dedication and a lot of study and hard work. Just the process of auditions. The reality is you get material at 8, 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night. And you got to be performance ready the next day at 10 o'clock. And bright as a penny. And if you're on a set, Spielberg's going to bring in scenes that he wrote the night before, and you've got to be bright as a penny with that stuff in 20 minutes. So, um, intense. And that's not, yeah, it's not rocket science. Mm -hmm. There are methodologies of how to do that. Yes, it's creative process, but it's here's some steps that are going to make this a hell of a lot easier, and you will hit the mark if you just carry out these steps. So, um, that's what I try to give to people. And I love teaching as much as I love writing and as much as I love acting and, and directing and all these things. It all is, uh, is a whole for me. Um, it is. I by can that, tell. I mean a, a, 
a circle of activity. And I love the, the variety of my life. You know, I'm, I'm not at the whim of any particular segment of the business collapsing um, or going down because of external events like worldwide recessions or something like that. There's something that I can be doing. Um, In any uh, of these so. aspects. Patrick, I want to thank you for being with us today. And I want, I want to give listeners your social media on Facebook, your I'm Pat Kilpatrick, on Instagram, Patrick Kilpatrick, and on Twitter, at I'm Pat Kilpatrick. And then your website, which I saw is where listeners can order your book, is patrickkilpatrick.com. Yes, and of course, they can get hardcover and softcover um, on Barnes and Nobles or Amazon.com or Audible copies. If they want an autographed copy, they can certainly go to um, patrickkilpatrick.com. If they can't make one of our events, I'm about to hit Livingston, Montana, and Aspen, Colorado, and Denver and Telluride for the film festival uh, with book signings and uh, events and speaking up there. So um, I hope somebody can come to the great, great West and great Plains. So onward and up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, frankly, um, it's one of my, my theory of book signings is do it when you're headed someplace for some fun. Absolutely. Um, additionally, so I love fly fishing. So, um, and I'm going to show my new wife, uh, the West. And Beautiful. so it's kind of combination vacation. It's all fun. So onward and upward. Yes. Onward and upward. Thank you for being my guest. It's just been a delight. Thank you, Lisa, for doing your work. Onward and upward. See you soon. See you soon. Bye. Bye. That concludes my show today with actor, producer, director, mentor, author, Patrick Kilpatrick. And I hope everyone has had a good week so far. I wish you the best, all my love, and I will see you next week. Indeed, listening is the new reading. With Audible, you can listen to an unlimited amount of books at home, in your car, at the gym, anywhere on the go. With over 180,000 audiobooks to choose from, for you, the listener of all things therapy, Audible is offering you a free audiobook download and a month-long subscription for you to try them out. Visit audibletrial.com forward slash all things therapy now and enjoy. Do you want to help yourself and friends find a purpose in life? Then you are in the right place and be a part of the crowdfunding campaign of patreon.com forward slash all things therapy with Lisa Tahir as she initiates a one-on interaction with inspiring authors, healing experts, and spiritual directors. Join the League of Heroes of this generation by contributing your quota between a dollar up to a hundred dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash all things therapy. Let's make the world free of suicide, poverty, depression, and in all, make the world a better place for everyone. You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir, only on LA Talk Radio.